Matthew chapter 28. And go down to verse 18. It's a familiar passage of Scripture, I think, to most everyone here. I'm sure that you've probably heard these three verses several times in your life, and you've probably read them several times yourself. Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them, the eleven, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These three verses are what is commonly referred to as the Great Commission, because it's here that Jesus tells the eleven apostles, because Judas is no longer with them, he tells the eleven to go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, what's a disciple? Well, a disciple is a pupil being taught. A disciple is someone that learns. A disciple is someone that follows another. And if Jesus is telling the apostles to go and make disciples or learners or followers, then who is it these learners are to be learning about and these followers are, are to be following? Well, obviously the answer is who? Jesus. Sure, Jesus. He wants people to follow Him. He wants people to learn of Him. He wants people to accept Him ultimately as Lord and Savior. So you go and make disciples. You teach the people about Jesus. But the verse continues, go and make disciples of all the nations. By the way, the word nations in the Greek language is ethnos. In other words, go and teach all the ethnic groups, okay? Everyone. Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. So that's Jesus' commission to the eleven. Those are his marching orders for them. His plan, his strategy to win the world, to save the world so that everyone might have eternal life. That's why he came, right? The Son of Man has come to seeking to save that which was lost. Absolutely, here's the strategy for it. Go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them everything else I taught you. That's what he tells the eleven to do. Did they do it? Yeah, they did. They carried out their orders, so teaches the book of Acts. And Jesus' strategic plan had them to start in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Jesus appeared to them for a space of about 40 days. Pentecost followed Passover by 50 days. So in that intervening 10 days from the time Jesus ascends back to heaven, in that 10 days he told them, you go back and wait in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high, which the Father has promised. And he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, Acts 1, verse 8, and so on. So they go back, they go to Jerusalem, and then comes the day of Pentecost with thousands upon thousands of Jewish people coming to the city of Jerusalem 
for that great day. Acts chapter 2 tells the story. Most of you know the events that took place on that day. But just to refresh your mind and to tell those that may not be familiar with the account, here's what happens. As they are there on the day of Pentecost, they're all together together in one place, and they hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then they see these little cloven tongues of fire that, that separate and distribute themselves upon each one. And then as that is a sign of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, that power being clothed with power from on high, they are able to speak in different languages, in different dialects. Of all those thousands of Jews that came to the city, they didn't all speak the same dialect, the same language. In fact, there's about 15 different dialects that are mentioned there in Acts chapter 2. And the people here, the apostles, teaching and preaching about the mighty deeds of God, everybody in their own language. And so it brought about confusion. People are wondering, how can this be? How is it that all of us hear these men speaking in our own language about the mighty acts and deeds of God? Well, there were those who mocked and suggested they're drunk. That's when Peter stands up and says, these men aren't drunk. It's too early in the morning. It's just the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. And then he says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and following. He said, what happens today, what you are witnessing right now, is a fulfillment of what Joel said. That in the last days, that, that I'll pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, and, and so on. And after he tells them that this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel... Peter begins to teach them about Jesus. The Jews had waited for hundreds of years for the Messiah, the Anointed One, to come, the Christ. He had come, and did they accept Him? No. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. They rejected Him, and ultimately put Him to death at the hands of godless men by crucifixion. And Peter tells them that, tells them that they had murdered the very Messiah that they had waited on. And then the people are pricked in their heart, convicted of their sin, and want to know what they need to do because of what they've done. Now, let's go back just a second. In order to become a disciple or follower of Jesus, you have to learn about Jesus. You have to learn about Him. And here in Acts chapter 2, Peter teaches this great multitude about Jesus. So notice what he says about Jesus through his message, which begins really in verse 22, talking about Jesus. First of all, he tells those people that Jesus was proven to be the Son of God, the Messiah, by His miracles and wonders and signs in verse 22. Those miracles authenticated Him. Prove that he was God's son. Peter said, if you got any doubt, look at what he did. Because these things attested, he says, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs. It proved that he was who he said he was. Secondly, 
Peter says he died on a cross at the hands of godless people in verse 23. Godless men. Who were those godless men? You may think, well, the Romans, okay, because they were the only ones that could, that could put people to death at that time. Well, yeah, the Romans were involved, but there were also some pretty godless men among the leaders, the religious leader, the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all those clamoring to get rid of Jesus. So, yes, they put him to death on a cross according to God's predetermined plan. But it was at the hands of godless people. But then in verse 24 and verse 32, Peter says, But this Jesus God raised up again. Death couldn't hold him. God raised him from the dead, and we're all witnesses of that fact. We've seen him, we've talked to him, we've touched him, we've ate with him. We've been with him. God raised him from the dead. And then fourthly, he says, He has also ascended into heaven and has been exalted to the right hand of God in verses 33 and 34 which is where he rightly should be. He has ascended into heaven. And in, ver in verse 33, that Jesus had received and poured out the Holy Spirit on the apostles. You remember reading back in John 14 and 15, especially in John 16, Jesus says, it's to your benefit that I leave you and return to the Father, because if I don't go, the Helper won't come. The Helper was who? the Holy Spirit. So, but He, when He comes, He'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will bring to your remembrance everything I've taught you. It's to your advantage. And now He's poured out that which you see today, the Holy Spirit. And He also says at the conclusion in verse 36 that all Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Messiah. Lord in Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So did Peter attempt to make disciples? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. By the way, folks, those six points, that teaching about Jesus has never changed. It never will change. And it's just as true today as it was then, and it's just as relevant to every one of us as it'll ever be. Uh, folks, that won't change. And any time the teachings about Jesus are presented, those that are being taught have a decision to make. Number one, to believe, accept, and act upon the teaching. Or secondly, to disbelieve, reject, and do nothing about the teaching. Those two options, those two choices. Now, if a person chooses to believe, accept, and act upon the teaching, what's the next step for them? What should they do? Well, that's the question that came from the crowd in verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, convicted of their sin. The Holy Spirit was at work, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Or in other words, what's the next step? And what did Peter say in verse 38? Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins, and he'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children. What promise? The promise of the forgiveness of sins, the promise of everlasting life. 
The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Now let's take a moment and examine Peter's answer just a little more closely. He says, first of all, to repent. Okay? Repentance, uh, those that have grown up in the church and have heard that preached for years and years know what that word means, but we can't assume that everybody knows what it means. What does it mean to repent? Well, repentance is a change. It's a change of mind and a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. It's a change. What does sin do to a person in relationship to God? Does sin bring them closer to God or does it take them further away from God? Yeah, obviously. Sin takes a person away from God. And so if a person is going away from God in order to come back to God, what do they have to do? Turn around. That's what repentance is. It's the turnaround. It's the change of direction. Brought about by what? Godly sorrow for sin. Read 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. Godly sorrow for sin leads a person to a repentance that can save them. All right? So Peter says to repent. Change your direction. Change your mind. Come back to God. Then he says to be baptized. Okay, a little bit of a language lesson is in order here. You've heard this preached before by me, but I'll say it again. I wish that those who translated the scriptures had translated the word, but they didn't. They transliterated the word. In other words, they put the Greek word, the Greek letters of the word baptizo into English letters but they did not translate the word and tell you what it means. In the Greek language, baptizo begins with beta, R-B, alpha, R-A, pi, R-P, tau, R-T, okay? That's the root word of baptism, bopped, okay? They transliterated it. They gave English equivalents to the Greek letters, the Greek alphabet letters. But they didn't tell you what the word means. What does the word mean? Immerse, yeah. And I don't know if you can find a Bible that will say that. That's what the word means if they had translated the word. The Greek word, that root word bop, means to immerse, plunge under, or submerge. It was a word that was supposedly named after the sound of the action. If you drop a, a big rock into a big pool of water, they thought it made the sound mopped. And they named the word after the sound of the action. All right? So, we are correctly translating it if we say that Peter said repent and let each of you be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's what the word means. Why? Well, he give, gives the reason right there. For the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's people that get hung up on that. They accuse us of teaching salvation by works. No, we're not teaching salvation by works. By the way, what is a normal definition for works when it comes to the Christian faith? If you ask a person, what do you mean by works? What do you think they're going to say? You get the answer. Come on. Something you do what? Something you do physically? Does it have to be physically? 
something you do in order to be saved. Isn't that the normal definition of a work when it comes to the Christian faith? Something you do in order to be saved. We all do things that lead us to salvation. Does the Bible teach that we have to hear the message, faith cometh by Romans 10, 17? Yeah. Who does the hearing? Hearing something you do, right? Do you have to believe what you hear about Jesus? Yes. Okay. You have to believe it. Belief is, is required. Faith is required. Who believes? You do. Peter says you've got to repent. Who repents? You do. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, it can result in salvation. Who confesses? You do. Who baptizes? Not you. Baptism is the one thing you don't do. It's done to you. You submit to it. Of all the things we get accused of because we believe that baptism is essential, immersion is essential in the plan of salvation, they say, you're teaching salvation by works. Well, if you mean that you've got to hear, believe, repent, and confess, yeah, but not about baptism. And listen, folks, it's not our work anyway. Whose work is it? Who's doing the work to forgive us? God. This is God's work. This is what He says. And He doesn't change the, the rules, as Randy has told us. It's still the same. So no, we are not teaching salvation by works. You are being immersed in order to receive the forgiveness of your sins from God and the gift of His Holy Spirit that will reside in you and to receive that promise of everlasting life. That's what he states they'll receive. And then he talks about the promise. That's for you and your children and to all who are far off. The promise of everlasting life. The promise of having an eternity in that new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. I mean there's just two options, heaven or hell. Which will it be? Where will you spend eternity as the old saying goes? So the people here on the day of Pentecost were taught that day about becoming a disciple of Jesus. The good news about Jesus was taught that day. The identity of Jesus was presented. A sketch of his life was presented. The magnitude of the people's sin, what they had done, this Jesus whom you crucified, that was clearly declared. And so then the Holy Spirit did his work and convicted about 3,000 people of their sin. A clear answer was given to the question asked by the people as to their next step. Peter continued to exhort the people as he testified to them about Jesus. And then Peter waited to see the response. And the response is given in verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, immersed, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We think, wow, 3,000. Yeah, I've never had 3,000 respond to one of my sermons. I've never had 3,000 people present to hear one of my sermons for that matter, all right. But actually, folks, that was a small percentage of the people in the city that day. Okay. What were the 3,000 souls added to? They were added that day. What were they added to? The body of Christ, the church. This is the birthday of the church. All right, Jesus said, I will build my church. Here's the day it came into being 
among men, all right? The birthday of the church right here. They were added to the church, the body of Christ. Did the apostles do what Jesus had told them to do? Yes, they did. And according to verse 42, the disciples were being taught to observe everything Jesus had taught his disciples. Now, turn over to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, you're going to see another example. In Acts 8 and verse 26, we have the Holy Spirit telling Philip to go join himself to a chariot, which is under the, 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 the leadership of a eunuch from Ethiopia who had been to Jerusalem to worship. And he has in his hands a very valuable thing, a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. That was not normal to have something like that in your possession, but he had obtained it in some way. He's reading from that, and he's reading in what we know as the 53rd chapter. Now, when he would have had it, there would have been no chapters and verses. But he's reading the part of that scroll that we know as Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy about the death of Jesus on the cross. 600 years before it ever happened, and it's like he was there giving us every single little detail. Philip goes up and hears him reading from the scroll, and Philip asks the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, how can I unless someone guides me or teaches me? And so he invited Philip up into the chariot, and from that point on, Philip preached to him Jesus. What was the result? When they came to some water, the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What keeps me from being immersed? And Philip said, You can't be. He ordered the chariot to stop. Both he and Philip went down into the water. Philip immersed him. They came up out of the water. The spirit caught Philip away. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. So, was the Lord's commission carried out in this instance? Was a disciple made? Yes. Was he taught what the Lord commanded? Yes. And the commission that was fulfilled there. You turn over to Acts the 16th chapter and verse 22. Paul and Silas have been thrown in prison. They are there held in some, some bonds. And, and uh, uh, at midnight or around they're singing praises to God. The jailer, who we call the Philippian jailer, since this was at Philippi, this jailer has heard them singing, praise to God, and all of a sudden an earthquake hits, and everyone is loosed from what bound them. He's afraid that they've escaped. The penalty under Roman law is that you would be executed, you would forfeit your life if a prisoner escaped. So he's about ready to kill himself, and Paul calls out, do yourself no harm, we're all here. He comes in trembling, brings the light in, and asks the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved, you and your household. You know, Paul didn't give him the answer that Peter gave to the people on the day of Pentecost. Paul didn't tell him to repent and be immersed. By the same token, Peter didn't tell the people on the day of Pentecost, Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. He said, repent and be baptized. Who's right? Both are. Why? You've heard me teach this before. There are different places on their journey to faith, right? You go to St. Louis and you stop in Salem and ask, how far is it to St. Louis? They'll give you an answer. 
If you stop at Lebanon and ask how far it is to St. Louis, they'll give you an answer. Which answer is right? Both, because you're a different place on the road. And that's why we have two different answers here. There are different places on the road to their salvation, their journey of faith. Peter didn't tell the people on the day of Pentecost to believe in the Lord Jesus. Why? They already did. They had grown up believing that a Messiah would come. The Jews had believed that for hundreds of years. Peter took them where they were at and started with, and, and, and led them where they needed to go. But here, the Philippian jailer is not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He, has, he doesn't know anything about a Messiah coming. He's got to learn from the beginning, the start. And so that's where Paul starts him. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you can be saved. By the way, was repentance and baptism taught to him ultimately? Look at verse 33. That same hour of the night, he and his whole household were immersed. So, was the Great Commission carried out in his life? Absolutely. So, who is to be taught about Jesus and made disciples of Jesus? Everyone that's old enough and able to learn about Jesus, right? Who's to be, who's to be immersed? Everybody that's able to make their own decision to believe in Jesus and obey Him. Here's a touchy point with some people. Are infants able to believe in Jesus? Are infants able to repent of sin? Are infants guilty of sin? And I don't believe they are. I believe they are born innocent and they are saved under the grace of Christ until they're able to learn of Jesus and make their own decision. That's why we don't immerse, christen, sprinkle, or pour water on infants. Okay? And that's a whole sermon in itself that I'll just leave it at that. What is the purpose of baptism? To receive the forgiveness of sin, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of everlasting life. And once you've obeyed the Lord in doing that, He adds you to His church. You become a member of the body of Christ at large, a member of what... Some people call the invisible church. The invisible church, that includes every single person who is truly saved by the blood of Jesus. And only the Lord knows who every single person is that truly believes, that truly has accepted Christ. The invisible church. But what about the visible church? Those bodies of believers at the local level, like New Hope Christian Church, we are a visible church. Do I need to make known my desire to unite with a local congregation to connect with the visible church? Well, I believe you do. And let me tell you why. Sheep need a shepherd. Right? Sheep need a shepherd, so Christians need the guidance and protection of the eldership. The shepherds of the church. The pastors of the church, all right? As Christians, we need the fellowship and the mutual edification that characterizes church life. We need the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers that are found in church gatherings. The Apostle Paul talks about coming together as a church in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18. He also commands us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I mean... He expects to see ourselves as members of a body 
where each part depends upon all the other parts. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 26. How can that happen if no one commits themselves to being a part of the local body of believers? That, it can't happen. We're also to use our own gifts in serving one another according to 1 Peter 4.10. How will that happen outside of the local church? It won't. How can leaders such as elders and deacons be selected for the local church if there is no one who will commit themselves to being affiliated with the local church? There's no way to, to have leadership. The New Testament teaches about the need from time to time for church discipline. When a, when, when a brother or sister in Christ continues in sin and refuses to repent, how can that take place if no one is a member of the visible church, of the local church. It can't. Local church membership says, being a member apart, being connected to the visible church says, I'm not ashamed of Christ or His church, and I'm a part of it. It says, I want to get involved in this church's ministry. And as a result, church leaders, church staff, they know that they can call on you for service to the Lord. Local church membership says to the elders of the church, I want you to be my shepherds and hold me accountable to the Lord. Read Hebrews the 13th chapter and how we're to pray for those who have kind of the guard over our souls. Folks, sheep without shepherds, that's not safe. And it also says, I realize that if all Christians refuse to be connected to the local church, there would be no local church, right? There wouldn't be one. That old illustration of taking a piece of burning wood out of the fire and setting it aside by itself, what happens to that piece of wood? It goes out, sure, ceases to burn. Same thing happens to those that are not connected to the body of Christ. Their fire will cease to burn, and they will die outside the body. You need the church. I need the church. We all need the church to say, I love you, Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with your body. That's just a contradiction in terms. Now, what is required to connect yourself to New Hope Christian Church as a member? Nothing more than is required to become a Christian. If you have obeyed the gospel by repenting of sin, confessing your faith in Christ, being immersed for the remission of your sin and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then the Lord has added you to Himself. The Lord has added you to that invisible church, to the body of Christ. And nothing more is required to be a member of New Hope Christian Church than for you to simply inform us that you want to connect with this body of believers. You don't have to do anything else. Just tell us. I want to be connected to New Hope Christian Church. How do you do that? I, the Bible doesn't explain that, actually. Uh, tradition has been that some people will come forward at the end of a worship service, at the invitation time, to make that known. There are other times where people just make an appointment with me or with the elders or whatever and say, we want to connect with, with New Hope. All right. 
The Bible doesn't tell us how to do that other than you need to let us know. There are people in almost every church that maybe have attended for 10 to 20 years, have been faithful in service, never, never hardly miss a Sunday, but they've never told anyone that they want to be connected to that body of believers. You need to tell us. We do not assume it, all right? January 23rd is a decision Sunday here at New Hope. You could choose to come forward on that day. And if you did, it might just encourage someone else to make a decision. Because when other people see someone stepping out, they think, then I can do it too. If they can do it, I can do it. And so it might be an encouragement to someone. But whatever, take the next step. You've been hearing that a lot. Take the next step. If you need to start at the beginning and become a disciple and learn about Jesus, take the next step and do that. Come to our session today, right after second service, all right? If you're already a disciple and a believer in Jesus, then take the next step and repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be immersed into Him for the remission of your sin. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Take the next step. If you've already done that, if you have already obeyed the gospel, but you haven't connected yourself or become affiliated with a local church, take the next step. Connect with New Hope. We need you. And you need the church. And if you've already done that, but you haven't found a way to serve the Lord with your gifts and abilities, take the next step. Come and talk to us about how you can serve the Lord and be involved in ministry here at New Hope. Or whatever you need to do, take the next step. Do it. I'm done preaching. We're going to sing. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Let's stand together. If you'd like to make a public decision today, I'll be right here in front as we sing.